Good afternoon. Come on now. You miss your, did you miss your two o'clock nap? Good afternoon, everyone. There you go. I knew somebody was here. It is, it is a real honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord together, to know that God has called us here to worship him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he could have used only the rocks to cry out to him, and they would have been a lot less trouble than we have been. And yet he gives us the privilege, not only of worshiping him, but being his sons and daughters, being his bride, being his family. Doesn't get any better than that. Today, we're going to be in the book of Hosea. Hosea is easy to find if you've got your Bible with you. If you've got your device, you just scroll. But if you've got your Bible with you, um, Hosea is right after the major prophets. So you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. Hosea is a minor prophet, not because he's less important, but because of the length. Not quite as long as, as uh, Isaiah or some of the others. Hosea is a husband. Gomer is his wife. Hosea represents God. Gomer, a prostitute, represents Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, and us. So that might be a little bit hard to take in. It's a comparison that God has given to us. It's not the only place he does it, as we'll discover as we open up his word. This is the word of the Lord. We'll start reading in Hosea, chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of Fordham, and have children of Fordham. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name Not My People. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children, of, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And then they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are not my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Move over to chapter 3 and verse 1. And the Lord said to me, this is that chapter, by the way, that James Montgomery Boyce says is the most beautiful chapter in all of Scripture. 
And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So also I will be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Hosea. Thank you for Gomer. Lord, thank you for this true story of your extravagant love and your abundant grace. Father, I pray that as we open up your word on this day, that you would open up our hearts and you would transform us. Lord, that you would change us. Lord, that you would move in us so that we reject all the other gods and distractions of this world. And we run whole, wholeheartedly after you, our Lord. And Father, as I preach your word today, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. Father, that we would only hear what is from you. And Lord, if I were to say anything that is not from you, close the ears of the hearers so they only hear what is from the Lord our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I, uh, can I tell you a story? I'm going to anyway, so just say yes. Uh, many years ago, I was, uh, I was visiting with a team uh, with Youth for Christ at the Juvenile Detention Center in Birmingham, Alabama. We went in late in the afternoon and we spent some time with several uh, teenagers. They were aged 13 up to about 17. There were probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them in the room. We played a little music. I told the story of my own conversion and walk with Christ. And then I opened up scripture and talked to them from scripture for a little while. And then we prayed. And I said, if anyone wants to know more about this, let's just, just stick around. Let's talk some more. So a young man stopped and he wanted to know more about this. And another individual. And, and there was a girl that was just standing back. And when the others had left, she walked up, and she wanted to know if we could talk. And so I uh, signaled to a female volunteer, and we went into a, uh, a room next to the main room. It was a room with lots of windows, so everyone could see what was going on. And the three of us sat down together. The girl's name was Betty. Be Betty was a young teenager. Betty, Betty was so pale, she was so white, that if she'd been laying down, I would have thought she was dead. She was the most lifeless individual I'd ever come across, before or since. There was no emotion on her face, 
that was as though she was a mannequin. Her arms were cut up. There were pentagrams and other satanic worship symbols on her arms. She started off the conversation like this. She said, is that true? What you said about Jesus? Is that true? He said, yeah, it's, it's true. Do you want to know more? And she did. He told her more. And I looked at her arms and I said, you've been uh, involved in the worship of Satan, I can see. And she said, yeah. And I said, and you've been, you've been cutting yourself a lot. And she said, yeah. I said, tell, tell me more about that. And she said, I'll never forget what she said. She said, it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel alive. I asked her more about her story. Her father had left when she was young, younger. She was young then. Her father left when she was young, and um, her mother blamed her for that. Her mother had one guy after another in the house, and Betty was, well, Betty was better off alone at that point. I could tell you more of Betty's story, but it's not, it's not fit for this, um, this context. Brutal, brutal, brutal story. And I looked at her, I said, you know, you know there's a battle between the Satan that you worship and the Jesus that I was talking about. And she said, okay. I said, you've got to know, Betty, Jesus wins that battle. And she looked up, and I told her the story of this victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death and Satan. And she wanted to know more, and we talked some more. We talked for a long time. At the end, I said, you want to pray and ask this Jesus to be your Lord and to save you? And she did. And so the three of us just bowed our heads in that room. This girl that was just as pale as she could be, she could have been laying in a casket and she would have looked like she belonged there. And I began to pray and the other volunteer that was there prayed. And then this little girl, Betty, prayed. And we said, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you, my friends, when I looked up, it was as someone had replaced Betty. I've never seen such a dramatic transformation so quickly in my life. She had color to her face. Her eyes were alive and they were bright. There was a smile on her face. She had color to her face. She wasn't bowed over. She was sitting up straight. She had an excitement about her. There were tears in her eyes. She had long since stopped crying. She said, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. I said, where are you going? She said, I've got to tell everybody what's happened to me. I've got to tell everybody what's happened to me.
and this, this room was glass, and you could see her run out of the room, and she ran around to all the other spaces in this detention hall, and I saw her telling everybody what this Jesus had done for her. Betty had a need to belong, and she belonged to nowhere. She had a need to be loved, and she was loved by no one until she met Jesus Christ. Gomer had a need to belong. She had a need to be loved, just like Betty, just like me, and just like you. We all have that need, and there's only one that will fill that need, only one, his name is Jesus. This story is the story of Gomer's search for someone besides Jesus to fill those needs. God calls Hosea here to, to do something that is just, let's face it, outrageous, my friends. Just outrageous by human terms. Don't you think so? Hosea, I want you to go find a prostitute and marry her. Hosea, Hosea was a prophet. The last thing he's supposed to do is anything like that. And yet that's what God calls him to do. In obedience, that's what he does. Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so he went and he took Gomer as his wife. My friends, Gomer is us. Gomer is me, okay? Gomer is you. Gomer, Gomer is us. It's not just here that we see that. It's not just in Hosea. Often in Proverbs when we see warning against the adulterous woman, it's a warning against, against those that are prostitutes. But, but quite often the picture there really is of, of all of us that act in that way. We see it also in Ezekiel in chapter 6 and Ezekiel uh, chapter 12 where where Ezekiel speaks of this, this adulterous generation speaking of Israel. We see it again in Matthew in chapter 12 and in chapter 16 where Jesus says, Woe to you, you sinful, you adulterous and sinful generation. We see it in, in the book of Mark where Mark says much the same thing or Jesus says much the same thing in the book of Mark chapter 8. And then in James chapter 4. James, the brother of Jesus, is, is writing there, and he refers to the people of God as an adulterous, sinful generation. We often act like spiritual adulterers. I do, and so do you. We seek after other gods to meet our needs, other idols. An idol is anything that, that comes between you and God. It's anything that you love more than you love God. Um, an, an idol is those things that you chase when you turn your back on God. So an idol could be something really bad, according to the world's definition. It could be something really bad. It could be also something really good. So your spouse could be an idol. When you love your wife, your husband more than you love God. When you depend on their analysis of you more than you depend on God's analysis of you. Your children could be an idol. Children are great, right? 
But if you depend on your children to make you somebody to declare yourself a success, then your children have become an idol. Your job can be an idol. Ministry can be an idol. Some have referred to ministry as a mistress. It can be that in a heartbeat. Your identity, your standing before people can be an idol. I want people to like me. Well, that can be an idol. It is an idol. When we begin to love ourselves and our reputation more than we love God. God has designed us so that he is the only one that will meet those ultimate needs in us. And when we seek something else or someone else to meet those needs, those needs then become idols and we become spiritual adulterers. To give illustration to to this, God tells Isaiah, you're going to have children. They're going to be children of whoredom. So Gomer was a prostitute before. Hosea married her, but he, he marries her anyway. Their first child is one that is fathered by Hosea, and he's given the name Jezreel. Jezreel means, uh, well, it means to plant or to sow. Uh, in, in this case, it means to scatter, like you're scattering seed out in a field. And he speaks of it as, uh, as meaning that I'm going to scatter the nation of Israel. I'm done with you. I'm going to scatter you. And he goes and he talks about how he's going to do that, and Israel will not be heard from again. He goes on. She bears a second child. The second child is, is known as Lo Ruhama. Might be the way it's listed in your translation. Lo Ruhama. Are you H-A-M-A? Uh, it means no compassion or, or, or no mercy or, or not loved. Might be another way to put that. He's saying, you're going to name this child Lo Ruhama because I'm not going to have mercy. I'm not going to have compassion on the nation of Israel evermore. I'm done with the nation of Israel. I'm long-suffering, but my compassion's at its limits. Then he goes on. After she's weaned that one, that one was a, a little girl. He has a little, she has another little boy. The second one, by the way, was not fathered by Hosea. The third one is not fathered by Hosea either. The third one is named Lo-Ami, A-M-M-I, which means not my people, not mine. You do not belong here. You shall not receive love, and you do not belong with me. You're not my people. You're scattered. I will have no pity on you. I am amazed that in the middle of all of this, Gomer is a prostitute. These three children are named these awful names. God follows it up in verse 10 of chapter 1 with a reminder of his promise to his people. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people and say to your sisters, you have received mercy. In the midst of the people of God turning their backs on him again and running away from him again and again and again as imaged by Gomer as she chases after one lover after another, God says, you will be my people. He says the same thing to you and to me. As we run from him again and again, in small ways 
enlarge ways. He says, you'll be my people. And he reminds us of his incredible covenant promise, that promise that he has made from Genesis all the way through Revelation again and again and again. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's not an empty promise. He cares for them. He begs the children, go to your mom, stop her. But they don't. In verse 5, we see a bit of how shamefully she runs away. For the, chapter 2 and verse 5. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. They're providing all this great stuff for me. I'm going to run after them. She's clueless. Verse 8, Hosea is speaking. He says, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they, her lovers, used for Baal. With a heart of mercy, a heart of great mercy, even though Gomer has run far from him, Hosea has made a deal with her lovers. I will provide her clothing, wool. I'll provide flax and I'll provide oil for her hair. I'll provide the money for her jewels. I'll provide with, for her everything that she needs. And she doesn't even know because as he's pouring this out for her, he's not even telling her about it. She thinks it's coming from her lovers. And Hosea is loving her. My friends, this is unconditional love to the max. Still, she runs after other lovers and rejects anything that has anything to do with Hosea. She thinks it's everything that she's earned from her lovers. Do you ever do that? Do you think there's things that you've earned in life from your business or from your relationships that are really from God? You know, maybe you get a bonus at work and you think it's all due to my hard work. Well, there's others that have worked just as hard as you that didn't get the bonus. A gift from God. He is our ultimate provider. In my last year in, in business, I worked for a, a commercial industrial uh, mechanical contractor. And we took care of, of large buildings. We took care of coal mines. We took care of banks and malls and hospitals and stuff their heating, air conditioning, cooling needs and all sorts of stuff like that. In my last full year in business, I had a quota to meet and I worked so hard. My boss worked so hard. We worked so hard on so many contracts and we had almost none with two weeks left in the fiscal year. We had a business plan that we put together and we weren't even going to come close to it. Let's imagine the business plan, let's say, was 200000 wasn't, but let's that number there, okay? We had maybe 10,000 of that 200,000 with two weeks left in the fiscal year. We'd done everything right and nothing came in. And then with two weeks left in the fiscal year, we got a, we got a phone call from, uh, from the state. And the state uh, 
said, hey, Harrison, will you, um, will you take a contract on, on our hospitals? And, um, and I, I knew the guy, the purchasing director. I said, uh, well, we, we haven't received a bid on this, and um, I don't know, do we have time to put together the bid? And, and he said, it's not a bid. It's a, a full service. You take care of it. visual controls, lighting, everything. You, got, you get it all. And I said, well, well sir, Jeff, we can, we can do that. And he, then he went on. He, he said, you need to know it's not a one-year contract like normal. It's a five-year contract, and there's no bid. I said, you're kidding. He said, it's not one hospital. It's all five hospitals, coast to coast. You're, you're kidding. Really? And he said, yep, you worked for us years before. You did a great job. We trust you. You're trustworthy. So we want you to have them all. $200,000 worth of credit right there with one phone call. And we made our fiscal year. Did we work for that? Nope. Not a bit. The grace of God. I left business a couple months later for ministry, full-time vocational ministry. It was a great lesson to me and a reminder to me that God is one that provides for us each and every time. My friends, whenever we're looking to the world, the stuff, our relationships, to provide what only God can provide, then we're chasing after idols. We've become spiritual adulterers. We're chasing after that which only God has designed to provide. We can find ourselves living in a world that nothing, where nothing satisfies us. We have desires that nothing can satisfy. As Lewis said, it could be because we're designed for a different world. God's promise is huge. God's promise is because of his unconditional love, not because we've earned it or anything, any part of it. God's promise is not just for, for Gomer, but it is for her children. It is for all those that are, that are offspring. Representing Israel and the church, representing God's people, Gomer, Gomer is passed from man to man, from lover to lover. She's no longer able to, to gain anything for these lovers, no longer able to be what they need and what they want, so she is just sold, passed down from the richest to the less rich to the least rich to the poorest, until finally she's cast aside and put on the auction block. She's become a shell of the woman God had created her to be. Although created in the image of God, she's hollow. She's empty. My friends, our, our idols, your idols and mine, they promise so very much, don't they? They promise so much. And they deliver nothing. Maybe in the short time, the beginning, there's somewhat of a delivery. But in the long haul, it's nothing but pain. That costs us far more than we can imagine. There's a prostitute, Gomer. There's a promise, God, seen in Hosea. There's also a purchase. This is what Boyce calls the most beautiful chapter in all of Scripture. Here's a spurned, a spurned husband, a spurned lover that goes out of his way and he gives himself to buy back the woman that had turned away from him. 
goodness God has done with us. The picture isn't a pretty one. Gomer has sold on the auction block of slavery. Now maybe she's a slave because she owed a debt that she couldn't pay. Maybe she's a slave because the last man that she belonged to um, wants to get something out of her before he's done with her. And so he puts her on the auction block, and we know something of the, the auctions that would have been take, taking place in that day and time. The individuals, whether they were male or female, whether they were uh, captured in, in, in uh, conquest of war, or whether it's because they owned some, owed some debt or something like that, they would, have been, they would have been put on the auction block on display. They would have been stripped, and they would have been put up there for everyone to look at in all of their shame. And this Gomer, who everyone in the city would have known, is up there with her head hanging and her shame exposed, wondering how in the world she fell this low in life. Have you been there? You know what that's like? That's where Gomer is. That's where my young friend Betty had been. They might have had a bucket of water to splash on her to wash off some of the stench. Who would want such a creature? And yet Hosea steps up. The one that had made the vows with her years before steps forward and he bids a high, high, high price for her. And he wins the auction. He takes her off the auction block and at this point, in this culture, he had the right to kill her. He had the right to fatten her up and sell her for a profit if he wanted to. But that's not what he does. He takes her and he would have put his cloak around her. He would have covered her shame. And he would have taken her face in his hands, perhaps. And he would have held her close. And he said these words to her. In chapter 3 and verse 3, he said, You must dwell as mine for many days. What we see in that word is it's forever. And you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. In other words, Hosea looks at Gomer and he says, You will be my wife. And I will be your husband. You will belong to me. You belong to me, Gomer. And so I belong to you, Gomer. God says this people, I will be your God. And you will be my people. I don't know if there's any other words in scripture that are more beautiful. You'll be mine and I will be yours. You'll be my beloved and I will be your God. Remember that picture of, of Gomer on this auction block? Stripped 
with all of her shame exposed and her head hanging. My friends, there's another one that's like that. And his name is Jesus. When he's hanging on a cross, he's hanging there stripped. And all of his shame is there. And it's not a shame, unlike Gomer, it's not a shame that he earned. It's a shame that he asked for. And he asked for it from you. He asked for it from me. And he said, give me your shame. Give me your sin. And I will take it upon myself. And I will give you my robe of righteousness. And you'll be mine. And I will be yours. I will pay for your shame. Hosea acts just like Jesus in this place. My friends, we're Gomer. And Hosea, he represents our Lord. There's two things that come out of this for us. Well, at least two, but we're going to narrow it to two. There's a redemption and a restoration. So there was a creation God created Gomer to be, uh, in his image, to be a certain woman, to be a wife to Hosea, Hosea to be a husband to Gomer. There's a fall represented here, a spiritual adultery, spiritual prostitution. There's a redemption and there's a restoration. Redemption that takes place is, is as, Gomer, as, as Gomer is bought, she's purchased. To redeem means to buy back something that was lost or to buy back something that was taken. So he redeems her, he buys her back. There's a redemption that takes place and she becomes his and he becomes, he becomes hers. Sometimes we look at that and we say, God, I don't want that. I want nothing you have to offer me. We reject the gift of God as well as his, what he gives to us. We reject that because somehow we think that we can fight with our plastic swords of self-righteousness and we can slay the enemy of our sin and the enemy of our we're not good enough and, and we can slay all those with our own plastic swords and we can somehow earn God. Or we're like, we're like this, a kid at the beach and we stop at the Dollar General and we buy these little plastic shovels and, and plastic buckets and we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of our lives digging these castles of, of righteousness that if we could just make these castles, these sandcastles tall enough, we can get to heaven. And God with his hurricanes and his rain and his wind and his tide just wipes them all down. My friend, we need more than plastic shovels and plastic swords. We need Jesus. We have to have Jesus. We have to be redeemed from our spiritual adultery. There's redemption. There's also restoration. It's a newness of life. There's, we, we, have, we have to have Jesus. Jesus brings us uh, to himself, and, and all things are made new. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Les Mis. Uh, Jean Valjean is, is one of the most incredible characters ever. Uh, he, he knows what mercy is. Falsely accused, he ends up in prison. Later on, after prison, he ends up in a, in a monastery, uh, and he's spending the night there where a priest is nursing him back to health. In the middle of the night, this, this Jean Valjean sees the, all the gold and the brass and the silver, and, and he, he sweeps it into a bag, and he takes off. And he wasn't a thief in the beginning, but now he's a thief. And he takes it with him, and he's running away when the soldiers catch him, and they beat him, and they bring him back, and they throw him before the priest. He's the guilty one, isn't he? Say the word. We brought you back your stuff. Say the word. And the priest doesn't give Jean Valjean away. He merely looks at Jean Valjean and he, he gives him two candlesticks and said, here, you forgot these. These are the best. 
Jean Valjean is left there and the priest nurses him back to health completely and he does give him the silver, the gold, the brass. Jean Valjean has tasted the mercy of God. He's tasted the grace of God. He goes on and he spends much of the rest of his life giving away that mercy and that grace to others. My friends, when we have tasted of the mercy and the grace, the extravagant love of a holy God, then it is ours to give away to others. Just as he has treated us with gentleness and mercy and grace, so we treat others with gentleness and mercy and grace. We put aside the stuff of earth with its bling and its, and its fame. It, it, we, we lay it down. We're done with it. And we take up the gentleness of God. For, for Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We can lay down the stuff of earth. Just as God gave to Betty a new life, and she went from being ghost-like to being alive in Jesus. So he, he gives to you and me a new life. Just as this almighty God was loyal to Betty, just as God was loyal to Betty, as Hosea was loyal to this prostitute of a wife, so God is loyal to you and to me, even though we don't deserve it at all. And he covers us. He covers us with his robe of righteousness. He pays all of our debts. He covers all of our sins. He holds us close. He holds us so close. There's an intimate picture here between a husband and a wife. God holds us so close that we can almost hear his voice and feel the beating of his heart. God calls us into an intimate relationship with him, and he says, be done. Be done with the other gods. You shall be my wife, and I shall be your husband. You shall be my people, and I shall be your God. Father, this, these, these words in your book, they blow me away again and again and again and again. I'm amazed by your goodness. I'm amazed by your mercy, your grace to one such as me. The way you love Betty, the way you love us. Father, we've earned none of it. We deserve none of it. Yet you have poured out your mercy and grace upon us. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here that's with us this, this evening or that's listening, Father, I pray that even now they would know that you are a God that reaches out and redeems, that you call us to your side and you say, you are mine and I am yours. I will be your God and you will be my people. Father, would you reach out and transform us with your magnificent, extravagant love. In the name of Jesus, our Lord.